Uh, we started three weeks ago studying the book of James. That's why we're calling this series Life According to Jim. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote this letter around 49 AD uh, that's in the back of your Bibles or wherever you scroll on your devices. And uh, uh, he writes it in a time where the uh, early church is under great persecution. Uh, he writes it to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, and uh, scholars differ on what they think that means, but I think it means he's, he's writing to the people who are actually in his church. He was the pastor of First Church Jerusalem, and uh, he's actually writing to the people in his church who had left town under the uh, intense persecution that uh, the early church faced. Uh, he starts out, no wonder then, but talking about trials. He says, consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And he moves from there to talk about asking God for wisdom, to, to describing how sin works. We talked about that the second week and, and how we should seek to avoid sin in our lives and the temptations that are all around us. Yeah, last week, Tom talked to you about being hearers of the word, uh, or excuse me, <laughs> doers of the word, and not just hearers. And uh, we also uh, found out at the end of chapter one that the true religion or this true faith that we're meant to be in with God is, is this uh, faith that pays attention to the, to the least of these, to the widows, to the orphans. It looks to, to look out for those who can't look out for themselves. And so it's in, in this first chapter that we get all this great uh, uh, teaching from James. And uh, uh, we get a, a revelation of the character of God. This, this is who God is. He, he is uh, uh, a persistent in trial. He is... Um, a wise God, he is a righteous God, he is a caring God. And it, it shifts now to chapter two uh, where James is gonna talk about how these ideas need to be uh, applied in our lives in certain areas. And so we're gonna talk today about being on the same team. Same team! This is a, a phrase that I used to yell in basketball uh, when uh, myself and another teammate would both grab a rebound at the same time. And, and because you, you know, you're, you know you're supposed to secure the ball, you'll start yank, yanking at this ball and trying to get away from someone who's on your team. And so that you can you know, not be called for traveling and end up punching your teammate in the face or something like that. You start yelling, same team, same team. And uh, it's, it's a reminder that we're all in this together on that basketball court. Uh, in life, just so you know, even though there's seven point whatever billion of us and we're all very different, race, ethnicity, creed, uh, ideas and ideologies, we, we are all very different. We are all created by the same God. We have all been given uh, his image in us. And even though so many things separate us, uh, the love of God is meant to unite us. And it's meant to be especially seen in the lives of those who have understood who God is and chosen to follow him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that they'll know that we are Christians, not by our buildings, not by our stickers or fish on the back of our cars. Uh, they'll know that we're Christians by our love, by, by us being the conduits of God's love, unconditional, by the way, love uh, for the world around us. Uh, this is the marker of the follower of Christ. Uh, all too often, though, it's not something that's exhibited in the Christ life. Uh, we end up uh, uh, doing what is totally common in our culture. We end up uh, having favorites, right? We end up tailoring our lives around the things that we like most and excluding those who don't like them with us, right? Like even your technology these days. It's all set up so that you can have what you want when you want. Like music apps, it'll remember when you say, I don't want to listen to that song. It'll never play that song again. How cool is that? You only have to listen to a horrible song once and you're your you know, iTunes or whatever will say, well, we'll never do that again, sorry. 
right? Uh, you can go on Facebook. Anybody seen this, this little thing here? And this is, like, this is like a universal sign of approval now, the thumbs up. But uh, if you don't have time to actually talk to somebody and you want to comment on something they put on your, their Facebook page, you can just click this thing, like it, and move on, right? Uh, this is actually a powerful thing in uh, uh, sales and in uh, business now. Like my son is a, an artist uh, you know, who makes music over in Jacksonville, uh, plays in, in some of the venues there, and uh, he has, has a website of his own on a different website that, that if he gets enough likes, he actually gets invited to go play places or his music is played on college stations and things like that, all contingent on who likes his stuff. And so he's always posting, hey, make sure you like this or make sure you, uh, you know, help me out with it, blah, blah, blah. Because everybody wants the thumbs up. Because we are a tailor-made world. Everybody wants what they want. Everything is directed in that direction. But uh, this whole, <laughs> this whole uh, tailoring things around self is, is a Genesis 3 existence. Remember Adam and Eve? They wanted what they wanted and it started this whole sinful mess that we're in. Um, I'm not saying that you can't have a favorite team or have a favorite food or I'm not downing on favorites. Everybody with me? But when it comes to allowing our favorites to rule our life to the exclusion of what God says about how we're supposed to live our lives, well, now we've got a problem. But like, if, if, if we allow our preferences to shape how we treat people or how we even see people, then we've stepped back into the old man that we've been saved from and we've refused to be the new man that God has made us to be or new woman, whatever the case, Right? When I was a, a kid growing up, uh, I'd go to gym class and they'd pick teams. Anybody remember that? I don't know if they do that still, but they used to let the kids pick the teams. And you'd find out real fast if you were somebody's favorite, right? Now usually they'd, they'd pick you know, some of the athletic kids in the, in the class and so they would want to win the game and so even if they didn't like you, they'd pick you because they knew you could play. But sometimes they'd, they'd pick other people and it was just you know, uh, favorites all the way. Like they'd pick all their friends, and if you said something, you know, that they didn't like at, at, at you know, uh, recess the day before, they'd just leave you there with your back against the wall until you were the last one chosen. And even then, they'd be like, Saunders, and, you know. <laughs> right? And that's the mentality of this Genesis 3 world is I'll have my favorites, and I'll exclude the ones that are not. Here's what you need to know. Uh, uh, exclusion is not a gospel value. It's, it's not what God desires uh, in any of his existence. He wants all of us uh, to feel his love and, and all of us to be purveyors of his love. It's it said another way, a true faith and favoritism, as we're gonna learn today, doesn't mix. You can't have favorites. You can't, we can't, as Christians, say that we're Christian and choose to exclude people. Now, I'm not saying that you don't disagree with people. I'm not saying that you condone sin. Everybody hear me saying that? But I'm saying that regardless of what someone's done or what creed they belong to or regardless of what color their skin is or what political party they belong to or, or anything like that, you as a follower of Christ and me as a follower of Christ, we love people. It's who we are, it's what we do. Because it's who our God is. It's what he does. Anybody here grateful for the fact that God overlooks your mess and my mess and loves us anyway? Yeah, that's, that's called the good news. That's called 
the gospel. It's, 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 it's what is embodied by the life and death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. He did it because some undesirables were still desired by a holy God. And so it's our mission. It should be our joy uh, to have everybody be our favorite. I had a friend who was a pastor at a church I worked at in Dallas, and he had three kids. And unbeknownst to the other kids, he would always tell a child that was with him, you're my favorite. I mean, all of them. So all three of them grew up into high school thinking that they were the favorite kid of their dad. Until finally they sat down over pizza one night and they realized he's been saying that to all of us the whole time. <laughs> but I'm like, well played, sir. Because <laughs> that's what you want everybody to feel when they're around you. That they're your favorite. That they're, that they're desired by you because they're desired and loved by God. It says in verse 1 here of, of chapter 2, let's talk about favoritism. My brothers, uh, James says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He says, listen, if you're gonna submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's why it's mentioned there twice, lordship. Lord, Lord, see that? Lord Jesus, Lord of glory. If you're gonna come under, because a lot of people think Jesus is just their savior and they forget that he's their Lord. If you're gonna be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you've gotta be submitted to the character of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal with Jesus, he's, he's got no favorites. Show no partiality. Jesus didn't. You shouldn't. Love them all. That's what the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ requires. The Bible talks about this in several different places, but I'll just share one with you that Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians. He says, from those who seem to be influential, he's, I'm dropping in mid-context here, but he's basically talking about some people who were supposed to be a help to him and never were. Uh, they were apparently influential people, movers and shakers, uh, those who could have really you know, cleared some path for him, but uh, he says that those who seem to be influential, and then he gives his parentheticals. I love Paul because he talks like I talk. Does anybody uh, do this, like you're talking about something and all of a sudden you have a you know, squirrel and this other idea comes in, and you're like, hey, can I pause that for a second? And, da, 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 and then you come back to whatever you were talking about. I live in parentheses is what I'm saying. And uh, Paul does this too. And so he's talking about this influential person and he pauses just for a second to hit us with a nugget of, of eternal truth. He says, uh, what they were makes no difference to me, which doesn't surprise me at Paul. Paul was not uh, concerned you know, with, uh, with man's approval of him. Uh, he says this, this statement, and you can underline it in your uh, scripture, if you've got a paper Bible or highlight it in your electric ones, it says, God shows no partiality. So to complete his thought, Paul says, and from those who seem to be influential, those I say who seemed influential uh, added nothing to me. They, they didn't help me at all. But just so we're all clear, even though those people who were supposed to help me didn't help me, here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter because they weren't going to get like extra favors from God if they did help me because God shows no partiality. He doesn't have favorites. The world does. The world ranks, right? But God doesn't. So James starts with this in, in chapter two, verse one, if we can go back there. He, he starts with this verse and he says there's no partiality. And then he gives us an example. Look at verse two if you can. Uh, it says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing, clothing also comes in, uh, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, you look important. Let's give you the best seat. Uh, like I grew up in, I've told you this before, I grew up in the churches that had the thrones on the stage, right? 
And so the pastors would come out and sit in the thrones and everybody like, ooh, they must be important, right? And, and, and like uh, the, the, the senior pastor had the Papa Bear throne, right? And then, you know, you kind of went down and then there was Baby Bear thrones at the end for the guys who were, you know, doing the announcements, right? But the Papa Bear throne, oh, yeah. <laughs> Some of you guys never grew up in those churches. You don't, you don't have the joy I have. Anyway, uh, but places of favor, sitting them right in the front row. Even getting to the point, you know, where you're like, hey, take my seat. Here you go. You're more important than me. Now, if that's honest humility, that's great. But if it's to get a leg up or to have some kind of, you know, future uh, blessing from this rich person, then we've moved into this favoritism area. So if you do that and give that person the good place while you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there. You're nowhere near as cool as this guy. Just find a spot somewhere. Or, hey, you know where you look like you deserve to be? Down here. At my feet. Lower. We all get the concept of higher and lower, right? Higher is better. Right? So, so if you're sitting at someone's feet, you're in a position of uh, humility. You're in a position of, of being lower. I had a preacher growing up who always said, this is a big thing, I, I'm sure I have them in my sermons, but uh, his big thing almost every week is he would remind us that the, fo- uh, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. You ever heard that one before? That there's no higher and lower, there's no better or worse, that every one of us is just a hot mess and that uh, God loves us anyway, right? Well, what we love to do is say, you belong here and you belong here and you belong here. Kiss my feet. Well, here's what James says about that. He says, have you not then made distinctions? Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Have you not become judges with evil thoughts? Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that you should judge not, lest you be judged. Some people rip that out of context and say that we should never, you know, uh, point out sin in each other's lives. It's not what it's saying. But it is saying, listen, if you elevate yourself over someone else and become their judge when you have no right to be someone's judge, then man, uh, you've taken on something that you don't want to take on because God will judge you judging others. He says, hey man, this, this can't be. Uh, you're a judge with evil thoughts. Uh, you, you've you've uh, succumbed to that Genesis 3 mindset where you're a ranker. I went to the gym uh, just yesterday morning and I ran there uh, and, and I got to the gym and, and this is what happens when I get to this gym. I work at one of the UFITs uh, up there by the mall and uh, I don't work out next to the 25-year-olds uh, in the gym. Okay, if you're 25 in here and buff and, and everything's flowing perfectly in your body and all that stuff, good on you. I used to be that way 20 years ago, right? And so when I was 25 and first working out, I'd go to the gym and I'd, pick, I'd go to the end of the rack where the big dumbbells are, right? Where the men, where the men work out, right? And I'd grab that stuff and, you know, <laughs> And I'd look at myself in the mirror with my T-shirt all cut off like these guys do, you know, wearing the ribbons that they wear so they can see every whatever. Um, I don't work out next to those guys. It's demotivating as I hold my 10-pound, you know, dumbbell. <laughs> all right. Beautiful day outside, right? I don't do that. You know who I look for to work out next to? The guy who's starting that day. 
That's who I want to work out next to. Big old fat guy like me who's coming in for the first day, can't even touch his toes. I'm like, hey, chubby, come on, let's go. <clears throat> Pot calling the kettle black a little there, but, uh, you know, I'll just knock out, you know, two, three push-ups right in front of him. I'll, I don't even care. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you know why I do that, right? Because I'm Genesis 3. I'm going to compare. Here's what happens when we compare ourselves to people. We either elevate or we denigrate. We either lift ourselves up and say, I'm way better than you. And we love hanging around the people that we're way better than if we're doing the Genesis 3 thing because we feel better about ourselves, right? But the inverse of that is that we'll hang out with people who are way better than us and we'll feel horrible about ourselves. And we'll forget in all of that that God does not want us to compare to each other. He wants us to look to him for our value. He wants us to look to him as our source of esteem. But we go world and we just kind of look in the mirror and look to the left and to the right and we say I'm better than him and less than him and off we go. James says that ought not to be. We shouldn't look at people and say better, worse, We should just look and say, person, made in the image of God, created for him and by him, and it's my job to love him. I was driving with my buddy Don. Uh, After a long uh, drive, we we took a a couple days and hung out in South Carolina and played a little golf, and and we were coming back from that golf trip, and uh, we got to the intersection of 60 and 75 over there, you know, where you're coming off of 75 and heading into town, and, and that's where the homeless love to hang out. Big, long streams of car, long light, right? Most of them camp right there, if you're ever wondering, right by that overpass. They camp in those woods, okay? So that's why there's always someone there flying a sign and trying to get something from you. And uh, it was like 8 o'clock at night. We've been driving all day long, uh, trying to get home. It's dark already. And here's this dude standing out in the dark, holding the sign. Can't even read it. It's too dark, right? But he's trying to get whatever he can, you know, from the motorists passing by. And uh, uh, here, here was my first reaction, pity. Oh, man, bummer. That dude doesn't have a place to sleep tonight. Probably needs some, some food. Then Genesis 3 kicked in. Anybody ever had this one? Because your, your brain can do this pretty fast. You can go from like something that seems godly, pity, right to something that's really judgmental, right? What are you doing out here at 8 o'clock at night? You know, if you just spent some time today just trying to work with, you know, a, a, a decent job, earn yourself some stuff, maybe you could have got out of those woods, you know, I'm not going to give you any money. You're just going to go drink it. Anybody, anybody ever done this? Our mind can flash back uh, between old man and new man pretty fast. And so in the time that it took me to have those initial thoughts, this guy with his sign had walked past our truck. I went back to talking with my friend Don, and then, I don't know, three, four, five seconds later, the Holy Spirit came back online. You know what I remembered? I remembered that we had this whole cooler because we'll take a cooler out with us when we're, we're golfing and stuff for Gatorades and things like that. When we're, and we had this whole cooler full of cold drinks and full of all these snacks, granola bars and gorp or whatever, you know, the trail mix stuff, all these things that meant nothing to me uh, and, and, and could have easily be handed out a window to someone like him. And I, and I, I realized, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I'm supposed to see people with the eyes that he sees people with. And I came back online and I just, 
I knew the light was going to change, so I went into like, you know, just express mode, and I'm ripping open this cooler, and Don's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, we got all these drinks. We can just throw them out the window at him, and we've got to, he says, and so, so he's driving, and he's like, I'm like, dude, get his attention, and, he, and he's like shocked, because, you know, we're, we weren't talking about this. He, had, he probably hadn't even seen him. He was looking at me while we were talking, right? I could see him looking out the driver's side window, but he hadn't even seen him. He's like, what are you talking about? So he rolls down his window, and I'm like, yell, yell at him, yell at him. I'm holding the drinks, or, and guess what happened? Light turned green. Well, now what do you do? He's like six cars back there, the light's green, I'm holding Gatorade. I'm like, do I just chuck it? I don't know, what do I do, you know? <laughs> Hope you find it, you know, it's dark. <laughs> but I didn't do anything, I just, we just drove. And you know what, I think that happens way too much in the lives of God's people, is they have this like debate, this war, this back and forth between judgment and mercy and they miss out on opportunities because they can't pick Jesus in those moments. And here's my hope for us as your pastor. My hope is that uh, as long as I'm with you, we'll walk verse by verse through Scripture and try to figure out what it says. My hope is that when we do that, we'll understand what God hopes for us and wants from us as he tries to conform us to his likeness away from the Genesis 3 world that we live in. But my hope overall and most uh, of all is that you and I would get better at doing it faster. That we would just automatically default to the things of God and that we'd see people like he sees people and we'd act towards people the way he acts towards people and it would just be automatic. That we'd be looking for opportunities to include rather than making excuses for the ways that we exclude. Uh, some of you might uh, not be picking up what I'm putting down, so let's answer some uh, questions or this specific question. Why is favoritism such a, a big no-no? James, fortunately for us, continues on uh, with his explanation of this, uh, and he gives uh, three great arguments. The first one is this. Favoritism doesn't make spiritual sense. I've already covered this a little bit, but let's read what he says. In verse five, he says, listen, my beloved brothers. Remember how he started in verse one? My brothers. But now he's kind of like bending down, grabbing you by the face like your mom used to when she really wanted you to pay attention. Listen to me. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the word to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? You gotta read that one carefully because if you just read it fast, you might think that God opens the kingdom of God to the poor people regardless of what they believe or who they are, okay? And that's not what he's teaching here. He is saying, as Jesus said, like in Luke chapter six, verse 20, uh, he says this, uh, he lifted up his eyes to his disciples, he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He is saying that, but he's not saying that just because you are poor, you get to go to heaven. That is not what the scripture teaches. In fact, if you can go back to James for me real quick, he says, uh, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, that's where I wanna land here in a second, and to be heirs of the kingdom, which, just so we're clear, he has promised to who? To those who love him, all right? So, so the gospel still has to be received, accepted. Like we sang in the song, if you believe it, if you receive it, all right? That's still the condition of our salvation. It's not just being poor that gets you in. You've gotta be poor and then understand that there's no way you can get rich or there's no way that you can provide for yourself apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You believe it, you receive it. That's what gives you eternity. You with me? 
But isn't it uncanny? Everybody think back to your life. Maybe this isn't your experience because you grew up in a Christian home and you were little when you trusted Christ. But, but if you came to Christ later in life or if you came to Christ in a period of your life where things weren't going so great, you had a different realization or a different understanding of who God was in your low times. Like even now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, ask, riddle me this, is God more apparent to you in the easygoing times or in the trials? Yeah, it's when we become weak that his signal becomes strong. In all ways, he's strong, but, but, but it's, it's almost as if unless we get broken down, we can't even see God or, or know our need for God. Like the rich young ruler, remember him? He comes to Jesus and says, hey, I'd like to follow you. And Jesus says, great, you know, do all the laws. And he says, nailed them, got them all. And then he says, okay, uh, go, sell all your stuff and then come follow me. And if you know the story, you know that this rich guy, you know, a, a, a dot-com millionaire, whatever you want to equate it to in our day and age, he was given the choice, lose all my stuff and gain Jesus or keep all my stuff and forsake him. And he went away sad, right? Tough decision to make. Why? Because this is tangible. Bank statements are comfort makers, if they're the right size. Are you with me? (laughs) Yeah, some of you are like, no, they're not. You should see mine. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but if I got a bunch of stuff, the the Genesis 3 world we live in says, I don't need God. I am God, because I can take care of myself. You know what Jesus says? Man, it's it's hard to find some rich guys in the kingdom. It's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle to get some of those dudes upstairs. And why? Because they just don't see their need. So here's James' argument. In this particular case, when, when Christians were preferring the rich over the poor, he's like, dude, don't you understand? I prefer all people, but I can work best with those who have least. Why then would you Exclude them. Why would you discriminate against them? Why would you say that they don't matter? It's how my gospel works. In in essence, what he's saying is, if we discriminate, if we have favorites, if we look down on some and elevate others, then we've completely missed the message of the gospel, which is this, that God so loved how many? The world, everybody. That God wishes that how many should perish? None should perish. Favoritism doesn't make spiritual sense. But favoritism doesn't make common sense. Look what he says next. Uh, In verse uh, six, the second part, it says, are not the rich ones who oppress you, are they not the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name uh, by which you were called? He's like, bro, why, why are you throwing all this shine on the people that are being the worst to you? Now, this is like a, you know, one of those 80s uh, teenager films. Who was the John Waters or whatever films? Remember that? Breakfast Club and all those things. Like, like the dweebs, you know, the dorks in, in, in the classes of those high schools would all just want to be popular. There's this one movie called Can't Buy Me Love, and uh, McDreamy was in it. I don't know what his name is, but, uh, uh, but he, uh, <clears throat> he, he was in it. He was trying to, you know, just climb the social ladder and allowing all of these, you know, halves or or in kids or whatever, uh, to, to just basically run his life so that he could be with them like them. And that's what I picture in this story that James is telling. It's like, man, why would you do that? These, are the, these people are the worst to you. And you worship them like they're some kind of gods. 
mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Why would we, you know, we get all fussed out about pop idols and sports stars and stuff like that. They're dudes. They're girls. They're just like us. They put their pants on like us. They have to eat and sleep and go to the bathroom like us. They're, they're just people. This doesn't make common sense. And he finishes with this. He says, <clears throat> finally, favoritism steers us away from God and saying, here's, here's, here's why this is such a big deal. And, and I'll kind of close with these verses as, as we finish today. <clears throat> but here's what you gotta understand about sin. Uh, God doesn't grade out on sin. There's no curve. There's, there, no, I, I won't argue with you that there are certain consequences that go with certain sins and other sins don't have them. But every sin matters to God. Every sin is an egregious act in his eyes. And here's what happens sometimes when we preach these things. Some of you might have been sitting here for the last 30 minutes and being like, not a problem, Mark. In fact, I'm, I'm the victim. I'm the excluded. Okay? But, but, and what that'll do is it'll, it'll keep you from really examining your life, from asking yourself, honestly, is this something that I wrestle with? Because here's a funny thing. The excluded can start being partial towards their excluders because they hated me, I'll hate them. Are you with me? And so this, 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 and, and this is one of those sneaky sins. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but if it gets into your heart, then it goes into your fingers as you tap on your uh, keyboard in the comment uh, posts of certain places, and you anonymously spew hatred over candidates and over this and that and this uh, you know, ethnicity and this people group, and, and, and it just, it's in here, and it just kind of stews. Like your cancer cells, everybody knows you got some in there, right? Oh, really, yeah, they're in there. And then eventually one day they multiply to the point where they're a problem. You may feel fine, but it's in there. Look, look what he says. Favoritism, uh, it has the potential to really steer you away from God. He says this. He gives the good news first. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, if I had more time, the royal law is just basically, I believe, pointing to the fact that our king, Jesus, is the interpreter of the law. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says this all, all through that pretty much. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's the interpreter of our law, okay? And so for him, he was asked one day, Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as you love yourself. That's the royal law from our royalty. Jesus said, this is the law, summed up in these two terms or two ideas. And so the royal law, if we keep it, if we fulfill it, and we, we live this out, that you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, James says, way to go. You're doing well. Thumbs up. You can click it on Facebook, right? Like it. Uh, some people kind of stumble on this whole love neighbors as you love yourself. I'll, I'll, it's too simple and too quick, but I'll just kind of give you my understanding of it. Anything that you would do for yourself to, to provide for yourself and love yourself, you should be willing to do that for other people. Like everybody woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror, and like if you were like me, I, I'd spray my hair with some stuff when I preach. And so I preached last night and I went to bed and it was like antlers when I woke up this morning. It was just like, right? So, you know, I got cleaned up and I combed my hair so that you weren't distracted by the fact that, wow, he's got some serious bedhead. You okay? I did that for you, right? And I did that for me. I wanted to be presentable. I got up this morning, and I went and had breakfast because I was hungry. And so when I was hungry, I fed me, right? If, if there's something that's lacking in my home, which is usually a gallon of milk, all right, uh, especially uh, when my kids were younger and I couldn't say, go get a gallon of milk, which I do now, all right, uh, I, guess who went and got the gallon of milk? It was me or Eleanor. And if we wanted milk in our house, guess what? We would go and get the milk and provide it for us. Anything that you would do for you in your time of need, 
You should be willing to do that for your neighbor. That's what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do that, James says, way to go. But if you don't do that, Mark's gonna get stern. Everybody duck, ready? If you don't do that, it's sin. Don't dress it up. Don't play it down because it's not a big one. But if you choose favorites in your family, amongst your children, uh, in your job place because you like working with this one and not that one, in your life group because this one is a real life sucker and I don't want to hang out with them. I just want to hang out with them because they're cool. If you do that, if that is your mentality, it is sin. Don't dress it up any other way. Look what he says. He says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you went to trial on that sucker, God would hit the gavel on the thing and be like, guilty. Now he still loves you, just like we love our kids when we look at them and we say, you did it. But don't think that he's somehow just glossing over this whole favoritism thing. It matters to him. He goes on to explain that, look what he says. He says, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Wow, what? What just happened? Well, God just said, listen, if you break even the smallest of the commands, the least consequential in your thinking, it's as if you broke all of them. It's not graded on the curve, it's pass-fail. Anybody got like a, a little ding in your windshield? Rock came up and it's just this little thing right now. You know what's gonna happen to your windshield over time? And you're gonna have to replace the whole thing because of one little rock in one little spot. He says, you're guilty of all of it if you break even one little part of it. He goes on and he says this. He says, for he who said, do not commit adultery. God said that, it's in the Big Ten, okay? He also said, don't commit murder. Hey, that's in there too. But if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Here's his point. You can't go to your trial that you're on trial for for murder and say, well, I didn't commit adultery. Let's just let bygones be bygones. I'm good over here, and somehow that makes up for me being bad over here. Okay, is everybody hearing this? Because this is so important in, in, in American Christianity in 2016. Because here's what we've done. We've, we've created the list of the things that you can't do. You cannot do these. These are the biggies. But the rest of it, grace. God will cover the rest because he loves us. Now, is that true? Does God love us? And if we are in Christ, are we somehow taken out of Christ because we commit some sin? That would be a miserable life, right? Like to always be worried about our eternity because, you know, I lied, you know, lied about some, I don't know, just one little sin would kick us out. That'd be a horrible existence, right? But here's the deal. We take the fact that we're secure in our salvation forever and we use it as an excuse to do whatever we want as long as we don't do the biggies. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is that God is serious about favoritism. My question is, are you? God's serious about Lies, that may not amount to much, but he's serious about it, are you? God's serious about spin the wheel, pick your inconsequential sin that you don't think is a big deal, but God's serious about it. And the question is, are you? 
James finishes and he says this, he says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You're like, I thought we weren't gonna be judged. Well, there's two judgment seats. The first one is called uh, the great judgment seat. Uh, and then, uh, then once everybody's been determined as to be a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, there's a, a white throne judgment. And those who are in Christ are basically uh, uh, enabled to, to honor God with all of their acts in their life, or they are shown to be lacking. And as 1 Corinthians tells us, they'll be seen as someone who just escapes the fire. Just kind of barely made it because of God's grace. But I don't know about you, when I get to that uh, throne judgment, when I get to the spot where I get to say, God, here's what I do with my life, I wanna be able to say, hey man, I heard that message on partiality and I realized that I was being uh, impartial to certain people, that I was hateful towards certain people groups, and I started working on that so that I could love people like you love. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he'll give us a crown to be able to cast at his feet and give him glory that he deserves, right? That, that's what I want. I'm not great at it, I'm not perfect at it at all yet, but that's where I want to progress towards. It matters to him, and he finishes up with this, he says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. That's a whole other sermon. Uh, we don't preach karma around here. Is everybody grateful that every once in a while God's grace covers our offenses to where we don't have to pay for every sin like we should pay for every sin? Who's grateful for that? Anybody grateful for grace? That's some good news right there, that we don't have to uh, pay, you know, uh, one for one for every sin that we uh, commit. But don't, listen, the Bible does talk about you reap what you sow. And if you live a life of hatred, even if it's kind of inside, or only with a few people, uh, here's what I sense God uh, loves to do because he loves his children. It tells us in Hebrews 10 that a loving father will uh, discipline his kids, all right? Uh, and because he loves his kids, uh, he's gonna every once in a while give them a little of their own medicine. And so if you're in the habit of excluding people, guess what? You're gonna find yourself excluded sometime. You're gonna be like, what is this? I'm awesome. Everybody loves me. And you're probably gonna, you know, unfortunately, if you're like me, you're gonna miss the message entirely, but God's gonna be like, hey, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to help you to see what this feels like when you do it to other people. Knock it off. He says the same thing about forgiveness. If you can't forgive other people, don't expect to get forgiven. If you can't show mercy, you don't expect to get some from me. And then he gives us the good news and we'll go home with this. Everybody stand. The good news is, is that mercy triumphs over judgment. We stand in this room today because mercy has triumphed over judgment. What we deserve from God is his, yeah, no, that's good. you can clap for that, because that is good news. I don't know if you're just clapping because we're done, but that is the good news. You and I stand in this place redeemed by a holy God, not because we were worth it, not because we earned it, not because of anything that has to do with us, but because a loving God looked down on nasty, naughty, horrible us, and he said, I love you anyway and I'm gonna give you my son. While you're at your worst, I'll give you my best. And all he asks of those who follow him is that we would do the same. When people are at their worst, when they disappoint you, when they're not like you, love them anyway. Don't condone what they say or think or do, I'm not going to that extent, but 
Our mission in this world is to love people like God loves people, to be like God in our relationships with people, and may God give us the grace, the strength, and the the desire to let mercy triumph over our judgment of other people. Amen? Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much uh, for your mercy to us. Help us to be extenders of it. Uh, Rid us, God, uh, uh, as a church, and as, as individuals, of our inclination to rank ourselves uh, uh, according to other people, to, to elevate ourselves above some, uh, to, to, to let disagreement on politics and religion and other ideas uh, to make us haters of those who don't agree with us. Uh, God, uh, give us your eyes for the world. Give us your heart for the world and set us free uh, from the trap of judgment. Uh, By your mercy, uh, may we extend your mercy. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.